and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. No, 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 We take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Botcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy. And today we're bringing you a dramatic reading episode. It's kind of like a bonus extra thing we wanted to try out. You know, over the years, we've read hundreds, if not thousands, of pages of teachings by pastors and prophets and gurus and fringe peddlers. And you usually get to hear our recountings of them, our summaries and our thoughts. This time you get to hear them from the horse's mouth, regurgitated into our mouths. A lovely analogy. Because we're going to be reading some of the writings by some of the people we've investigated. So you get a little taste of what it's like to be us. You should see our respective libraries. They are full of books like these. Just a note, we may slightly abridge some of these just to keep the flow going, but nothing that changes the original intent of the passage. But before we get into that... Let me tell you about our live shows. Are you coming to our live shows? Because they're coming to you. If you live in Brooklyn or near Brooklyn or even anywhere over on the east coast of the United States, come see us on the 12th of this month. That's tomorrow as this episode is coming out. Our special guests are the Flophouse guys, Stuart and Dan. It's going to be a wild, great time. Then we go to San Francisco Sketchfest on January 15th, where our special guest is Lawrence Carter Long. On the 16th, We are at the Mission Theater in Portland. And if you're in Portland, we'll be joining Judge John Hodgman live at the Aladdin Theater on January 17th. And the 19th through the 20th, we're at PodCon in Seattle. We're all over the place. You can find tickets for all those shows at carrypoppy.horse. None of them are sold out yet, so you can still get in. It has been pointed out some of the venues have age limits, so just keep an eye on that when buying your tickets. All right, so for our first reading, we will return to the world of Raelism and the Raelians. So if you didn't listen to those episodes, Rael, or the Maitreya, is also known as Claude Voril Hon. He is the founder of Raelism, and he was a French race car driver. It's a long story. You should listen to those episodes. Anyways, the basic idea is that life on Earth was seeded by aliens from other planets, and their life was seeded by aliens from other planets. You get it. Infinite regress. Anyways, here he is talking in his book, Intelligent Design, Message from the Designers, about visiting the other world. This edition is from 2005, though the passage I'll be reading comes from Extraterrestrials Took Me to Their Planet, first published in 1978. You are probably wondering where you are, my guide said. In fact, You are now on a base located relatively close to the Earth. In the first message, you noted that we traveled seven times faster than the speed of light. That was true 25,000 years ago when we landed on Earth. Since then, we have made much progress, and we now travel through space much faster. It only takes us a few moments to make the journey that used to take us almost two months in those times, and we continue to progress. If you will now follow me, we will take a little trip together. I rose and followed my three guides, We went through an airlock, and in a vast room I noticed a craft similar to one that had brought me from Earth, but it was far larger. The exterior must have been about 12 meters in diameter, and inside it had four seats facing each other instead of just two. We sat down as before, and again I felt the same sensation of intense cold, but it lasted much longer this time. About ten minutes. 
Then the craft rocked slightly, and we stepped out through the trap door exit. Before me, a paradisaical landscape unfolded, and in fact, I cannot find any words to describe my enchantment at seeing huge flowers, each more beautiful than the last, and animals of unimaginable appearance were walking among them. There were birds with multicolored plumage, and pink and blue squirrels with the heads of bear cubs climbing in the branches of trees that bore both enormous fruits and gigantic flowers. About 30 meters from the spacecraft, a small group of Elohim was waiting for us, and behind the trees I was able to make out a group of buildings that resembled brightly colored shells, harmonizing perfectly with the vegetation. The temperature was very mild, and the air was perfumed with countless scents of exotic flowers. We walked towards the top of a hill, and a marvelous panorama began to appear. Innumerable small streams wound through the lush vegetation, and far off, an azure sea sparkled in the sun. Reaching a clearing, I discovered with great astonishment a group of people similar to me, by which I mean people resembling those who live on earth, not Elohim. Most of them were naked, or wore robes made of multicolored silks. They bowed respectfully before my three guides, and then we all sat down. Our armchairs seemed to have been carved in the rock, and were covered with thick furs that always remained fresh and comfortable, despite the warmth. Some people came out of a small cave located right next to us, and approached us carrying trays piled high with fruits, grilled meats accompanied by the most incredible sauces and drinks of unforgettable flavors. Behind each guest, two of the men who carried the trays were kneeling, ready to satisfy the slightest wish of those who were eating. The latter would ask them for whatever they desired without even looking at them. During the meal, some marvelous music had started up, from where I could not tell, and young naked women, with figures as sculptural as those of the waiters, started to dance with incomparable grace on the surrounding lawn. There must have been some 40 guests who were similar to people from Earth, in addition to my three guides. There were white, yellow, and black men and women who all spoke a language I could not understand that resembled Hebrew. I was sitting to the right of the Eloha, whom I had met two years earlier, and to the left of the six other Elohim. Facing me sat a young bearded man, very handsome and very slim. He wore a mysterious smile and an expression filled with fraternal feeling. To his right was a man with a noble face sporting a black beard that was very thick and very long. To his left was a more corpulent man with an Asian face. He had a shaven head. Well, we know exactly who he's describing. Oh, who is he describing? Buddha. Oh, <laughs> and Muhammad and Jesus, oh, of course. Sure, sure. So, <clears throat> meeting the ancient prophets. Towards the end of the meal, my guide started to speak to me. In my first message, I told you of a residence located on our planet where people from Earth can continue to live thanks to the scientific secret of eternity that is based on a single cell. Among those people are Jesus. Moses, Elijah, and so on. This residence is in fact very large since it is an entire planet where the members of the Council of the Eternals live as well. My name is Yahweh and I am the president of that Council of the Eternals. There are currently 8,400 people from Earth living on the planet where we are at this moment. They are people who, during their lives, reached a sufficient level of open-mindedness towards the infinite or who enabled humanity on Earth 
to progress from its primitive level through their discoveries, their writings, their ways of organizing society, and their exemplary acts of fraternity, love, or selflessness. Alongside them live the 700 Elohim members of the Council of the Eternals. Whatever the outcome of your mission may be, you have your place reserved here among us in this veritable little paradise where everything is easy thanks to science and where we live happily and eternally. I can truly say eternally, for as on earth, we created all life here and we are starting to understand perfectly the life of the infinitely large, that is to say, of the planets, and we can detect signs of old age in solar systems which will enable us to leave this planet in time to create another paradise elsewhere as soon as we grow anxious about its survival. The Eternals who live here, both people from Earth and Elohim, can fulfill themselves as they wish without having to do anything but that which pleases them, scientific research, meditation, music, painting, and so on. Or they can do nothing at all if they feel like it. The servants you saw carrying the dishes a little while ago, as well as the dancers, are just biological robots. They are created according to the same principle we use to create the people of Earth in a totally scientific way, but they have been limited and are absolutely submissive to us. They are also incapable of acting without orders from us, and they are very specialized. They have no aspirations of their own and no pleasure except those that are necessary for their specialization. They grow old and die like us, but the machine that makes them can make far more than we need. They are incapable of feelings or suffering and cannot reproduce themselves. Their lifespan is similar to ours, that is to say about 700 years with the help of a small surgical intervention. When one of them must be destroyed due to old age, the machine that created them produces one or several others, depending on our needs. They come out of the machine ready to function and with their normal height, for they have neither growth nor childhood. They only know how to do one thing, obey people from Earth and Elohim, and they are incapable of the slightest violence. They can all be recognized by the small blue stone that both males and females wear between their eyes. They take care of the dirty jobs and do all the work that is uninteresting. They are produced, taken care of, and destroyed underground, where in fact all the maintenance work is done by such robots and by enormous computers that regulate all the problems of nourishment, supply of raw materials, energy, and other things. We each have, on average, 10 robots at our service, and as there are slightly more than 9,000 of us, Earth people and Elohim, there is a permanent total of 90,000 male and female robots. Like the Elohim members of the Council of the Eternals, the Eternals from Earth are not allowed to have children. They agree to have a very small operation which makes them sterile, but that sterility can easily be reversed. The purpose of this measure is to prevent undeserving beings from joining us in this marvelous world. However, Male and female Eternals can unite freely just as they wish, and all jealousy is eliminated. In addition, men who wish to have one or more companions outside the relationships of equality that exist between Eternal men and women, or who do not want to live with a woman on an equal basis, may have one or more totally submissive biological robot women with the exact appearance that is desired. The same goes for women, who can have one or several totally submissive biological robot men. The machine that generates the robots gives the entity that it creates the exact physical appearance and specialization desired. There are several types of ideal women and men in terms of shape and physiognomy, but the height, measurements, shape of the face, and so on 
can be modified as one wishes. One can even submit the picture of someone particularly admired or loved on Earth, and the machine will produce an exact replica. Thus, the relationships between Eternals of both sexes are much more fraternal and respectful, and the unions between them are marvelously pure and high. Alright, and I'm going to shoot forward just a few pages to a foretaste of paradise. Would you like some female companions? asked the robot. Come, you can make your own choice. I put my belt on again and found myself transported back in front of the machine used for making robots. A luminous cube appeared in front of me. I was shown to an armchair facing the cube and given a helmet. When I had settled down, a magnificent young brunette with marvelously harmonious proportions appeared three-dimensionally within the luminous cube. She moved in such a way as to show herself off, and had she not been in a cube floating one meter above the ground, I would have thought she was real. My robot asked me whether she pleased me, and if I wished to have her shape altered or her face modified. I told him that I considered her perfect. He replied that, aesthetically speaking, she was the ideal woman, or rather, one of the three types of ideal women, as defined by the computer, according to the taste of the majority of residents on the planet. But I could ask for any modification that I desired. At my refusal to change anything whatsoever about that magnificent creature, a second woman, this time blonde and alluring, appeared in the luminous cube. She was different, but just as perfect as the first one. With her, I could not find anything to alter either. Finally, a third young female, this one a redhead, even more sensual than the first two, appeared in the strange cube. The robot asked me if I cared to see other models, or if these three ideal types of my race would be enough for me. I answered quite naturally that I thought these three people were extraordinary. At that moment, a magnificent black woman appeared in the cube, then a very fine slender Chinese female, and then finally another voluptuous young Asian woman. The robot asked me which person I desired to have as a companion. Since I answered that they all pleased me, he went towards the robot-making machine and spoke for a moment with one of his peers. Then the machine was set in motion, and I understood what was about to happen. A few minutes later, I was back at my residence with my six companions. There I had the most unforgettable bath that I have ever had in the company of those charming robots totally submissive to all my desires. Ross, that was some very good reading material, but I've got to interrupt you because I have a jumbotron for sunshine from Smash Bandicoot. That's a very good reason to interrupt me. And Smash says, happy 22nd birthday, beautiful. These last seven years being friends with you have been amazing and astounding. I can't wait to find the cure for death so we can be best friends forever. Well, it's kind of creepy when you say it that way. Cheers to your friendship, Sunshine and Smash Bandicoot. All right, Carrie, what's next? And now for my first reading, <clears throat> I will be reading to you from Tony Alamo. If you haven't listened to our Tony Alamo series, you might want to go back a couple of years and listen to that. But in a nutshell, it is a Christian small religious group founded by a man named Tony Alamo. Tony Alamo was sent to prison basically for bringing minors across state lines for sex. He had taken several underage wives. 
It is quite a tale. But one of the things that you may not know about Tony Alamo is that he was very, very, very interested in the Pope. And when I say the Pope, I don't really mean the modern day Pope. I really mean John Paul II and some of the Popes before and after. So the first leaflet I'm going to read you is called Bill Clinton, the Pope and I by Tony Alamo. And the copyright is November 2016, timely. My first experience with Bill Clinton, the governor of Arkansas, was when I, Tony Alamo, was driving back from Miami, Florida. This was after Susie, my wife, had passed away. I went to Florida to do a Christian work among the Mariolitos who had come from Cuba. I heard that they were killing people in Miami, so I decided to go to Florida both to try to get Susie off of my mind and to witness the Mariolitos so that they would stop killing people. After I won several of the Mariolitos to the Lord, I headed back to Arkansas, where I had my main headquarters. I received a call on my car phone from a real estate friend of mine who had sold us most of our property in the Arkansas area. He asked me if I would like my friends in Little Rock to get rid of Mrs. Rappaport, the lady from Arkansas Child Welfare Services who was causing us so much trouble by persecuting us. She was marching on our property on Georgia Ridge with soldiers and with members of every government agency you can think of, causing us a lot of problems. This group would frighten our children out of their wits because they had guns and were uniformed. Mrs. Rappaport was doing this to look like a hero since the media was doing a smear campaign against Christian groups, calling them cults. I told my real estate friend, no, I'd rather know for sure that it is God delivering us than the governor or anyone else. He said, are you sure? I said, yes, Bobby. Thank you, though, and thank the governor for me also. He said, all right. The next day when I arrived in Arkansas, I read in the Fort Smith, Arkansas newspaper, the Southwest Times record, that Mrs. Rappaport had been fired and was banned from working in any government job for the rest of her life. I couldn't understand why Bill Clinton was being so nice to our church and me, because I really didn't know him. After a week or so, Bill Clinton told me he would give me the right to open up a big theme park on our property, on the top of a mountain range above Alma and Dyer, Arkansas, where everyone below could see it. However, I had heard about an evangelist who did just that. He was arrested and put to prison for it, so I decided we were not going to do that. Another time, the mayor of Dyer, Arkansas, asked me, Why don't you send a letter to Clinton and ask him for a fire station for Dyer? He's treating you real good lately. I told him that I just heard Clinton on the radio saying there was no money available for new projects. He told me, Write the letter anyway. I'm sure he'll do it. I wrote the letter. Clinton immediately approved a new fire truck and fire station for Dyer. Soon after that, I received a message from the Lord that I had to move our church into several different areas because of some great danger. I realized I had to move quickly, so I did. I kept the Arkansas and the Los Angeles properties. Then we moved some of our people to New York, New Jersey, Cleveland, Chicago, Nashville, and several other cities. After doing this, I found out that for some reason, Clinton had gone sour on us, and I had no idea why. One of the people in my church stated that Bill Clinton had written a bad story about me in his book titled My Life on pages 169 to 170. I started wondering if Clinton did these favors for me to pretend that he was for us instead of against us. When Clinton became president, the government raided Waco and killed a lot of innocent, true Christian men, women, and children there. I did not know them but I found out that they were a group of really good people. I also heard that Hillary was the main focus behind that Waco massacre, but I have no firsthand knowledge of that. Janet Reno was in it with Clinton. 
I watched Bill Clinton on television when he said, maybe this will teach people to never join a cult. He added, and there are many cults like that in my state of Arkansas. He said they were going to get rid of them as well. He was referring to us. I couldn't figure out why Clinton reversed his thinking about me. Then I remembered I saw pictures of him really warming up to the Pope when he was in Rome. The Pope has never liked me because I exposed his cult as being very satanic. It is dangerous because, again, they have literally murdered millions of good Christian people. He's never going to give up any more than I will. I found out that Clinton was Catholic. He went to Catholic schools like Georgetown University, a Catholic Jesuit-run institution that teaches hatred toward true Christianity. The Pope had been persecuting us for years before the Waco massacre. Recently, one of our people was at a Clinton rally. He asked, hey, Bill, why don't you help get Tony out? Because he's not guilty. It's just another persecution coming from the government. Bill said, oh, I thought that Tony Alamo was dead. He knows I am not dead. I think I appear in his nightmares every night. Again, the biggest cult in the world is the Vatican. It is actually Satan's church. It shows up all the time on television, on the radio, in the newspapers, and in its persecution towards us and other true Christian churches. I know that it's Clinton, all the Catholic judges, and the Vatican itself who are responsible for me being in prison. They are also the ones who persecuted me and sent me to prison on false charges for all these years. They spent years trying to get rid of me. They gave me a six-year sentence in prison for tax evasion. However, we were always tax-exempt. We had not used any government money at all. As a matter of fact, I gave $45 to the IRS, which I didn't know at all. The government brought Sun Young Moon into the United States because his group was obviously a cult. The government also financed Jim Jones and his group. The media told us of the horrible things this group did so that people could see how dangerous cults were. And then they tossed us in with them. But believe me, I am not part of a cult. I'm not Jim Baker. I'm not Sun Young Moon. I'm not Jim Jones. No one in our group is like any one of them. I've served the Lord for over 50 years now, feeding, clothing, and housing thousands of people, buying water wells and truckloads of food for people in Africa, and helping people all over the world. So many wild tales have gone out about Susie and myself over the last few decades. Bill Clinton wrote several of them in his book titled My Life on pages 169 to 170. He said that I was a pretty good promoter, and since Susie is gone, I don't have anything to promote. I don't know what Bill is talking about, that I'm supposed to have promoted Susie. Everybody in the church promoted the gospel, the same as Susie and I did. Hundreds of us witnessed to people. That's how we got started, and that's how we are still operating today. If I ever asked Susie, should I do this in business or that in business, or asked if I should build a house or a building for one thing or another, she would say, you know that I don't do that. You're Tarzan and I'm Jane. You know that you do all of that. Clinton misrepresented us greatly in his book when he stated that we were running a large farming operation. The Lord has always forbidden me to go into the farming business. I never did. Clinton wrote that I announced that God told me he would raise Susie from the dead someday. God told Sue and me that she was going to die and that she'd be gone for quite a while, but after that, she would be raised from the dead. Clinton stated that a few years after Susie died, I got involved with a younger woman. What for? None of the young women I know have any spiritual rationale. I never said what he is saying. This man is a pathological liar. These statements are all lies, and they have the earmarks 
of the Pope. This is nothing new. This is an old, old story. If you want to become president or someone in a high position in the government, you'd better do what the Pope says or you will never make it. The solution is to stay away from it. Don't get involved with it at all because the Vatican is Satan's church and you will go to hell. All one needs to do is order all my Pope-related literature and you'll more than understand why. Years ago, I had the world's greatest jacket line. My jackets were in Neiman Marcus, BB Sportswear, Signal Stores, Merry-Go-Round, and hundreds of other stores. I even had a boutique at Macy's in New York. The government agencies went to these stores telling them these jackets were made with child labor. There's no way that my clothes could be made by children. They were the most exclusive and expensive clothes in the world. There are so many more times that we have been lied about and persecuted through the years that space doesn't allow me to tell it all. The things I've said in this literature are absolutely 100% true. As far as Clinton saying I had nothing more to promote, the whole world is full of things to promote. Now it's your turn, Bill Clinton. And for my next reading, we return to Bob Larson, or as Carrie calls him, Bobo the Beaverneck, from the Spiritual Freedom Church. And he tells us in his book, Demon Proofing Prayers, this was published in 2011, how to break off Satan's legal access. The devil is very legalistic. When he came before the throne of God to attack Job, see Job 1, he did not have a legal right to attack Job. He was looking for a legal right, just as he does with us. He was looking for a loophole. Once a legal right gets established and the devil gains access to your life, he starts looking around for something to feed on. He may see some unhealed rejection. So even though he cannot rob you of your ultimate salvation, he can make your life a hell on earth filled with rejection and pain. Far from being a winning spiritual warrior, you will remain a whining spiritual wimp. You can break off the legal access, though, and it's not a complicated process. To break off Satan's legal access to your life, you need to determine the sin you need to renounce and repent of. Even if it was your parents' sin, you can renounce and repent it. Your parents' authority over your life gave them what we call spiritual power of attorney, and their decisions can allow evil into your life. Renouncing and repenting means that you turn away from a sin and declare that you will never do it again. You say, this is something I want to be free from. Then you make steps to modify your behavior in the future. If you can successfully modify your behavior and correct it by adopting right thinking and making right choices, that is all you need to do. Now, wait, wait, wait. I know what you're all thinking right now. You're thinking... This is very interesting. I support what Ross and Carrie are doing by sharing this piece of their lives with me that I normally wouldn't be able to experience directly. How else can I support them? Well, very interesting that you should ask because you can support us by supporting your own breasts. That's right. If you have breasts, if you want to put them in something, Ona Ross and Carrie is supported in part by Third Love. Using millions of real women's measurements, Third Love designs its bras with breast size and shape in mind. And Third Love is an industry leader. They have 70 sizes and bands up to 48. They have cups from A through H, and those include half cup sizes for those of us who are in the middle. 
so you can find your fit online in 60 seconds with Third Love's online fit finder. Order them, try them on at home, and there's a team of expert fit stylists dedicated to helping you find the right fit. But if you don't love it, returns and exchanges are free and easy. So what do you got to lose? So go to thirdlove.com slash oh no, O-H-N-O, right now, and you can find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash oh no for 15% off today. And now returning to our best friend, Tony Alamo, who, by the way, did pass away in 2017. This one is called Earth Day? Question mark. It's too late for Earth Day. Earth Day is just another trip the devil is putting all of you deceived earthlings on. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1.7 God is going to keep messing up the environment, and those who despise wisdom are going to spend trillions of dollars to unsuccessfully clean it up. You haven't even fixed New Orleans up, nor done anything yet with the thousands of prefabricated houses that we, the taxpayers, paid for. The word is that they are now unusable. Every one of the government agencies that have tried to have me assassinated have, on false charges with false witnesses, put me in prison for four years, and I have not been guilty of any of their charges. More importantly, let me tell you, from God who cannot lie what he thinks about your Earth Day and all of you deceived environmentalists and what he is going to do to you. God is already doing it. There will be seven major plagues on the Earth, then seven final plagues. Finally, the entire world will soon be burnt to a crisp. The very elements shall melt from the unprecedented heat. Jesus appeared to me while I was wide awake with my eyes wide open. Before this, I became supernaturally aware of God in an attorney's office in Beverly Hills, California. Several other experiences of the supernatural happened to me as well. I used to smoke between two and three packs of cigarettes every day. Even a few days after I was saved, I was getting ready to go to Bible study at Susie's place. I took a fresh pack of cigarettes, put one in my mouth, and was getting ready to light up. Immediately, I saw the form of a spirit. It was Jesus. He stood in front of me, put his hands on my shoulders firmly, yet with compassion, and he said just one word. No. I was immediately delivered and had no more desire to smoke until after Susie died in 1982. Later, the Lord told me that if I smoked one more cigarette, I would die. He told me a few years later not to eat dairy, none at all, and to not eat beef, two of my favorite things. After this, it was discovered I had a 90% blocked artery on the right side of my heart. He told me also that if I ate one more candy bar, I would die. After this, I was diagnosed with diabetes. God has extended my life. This is June 2009. I'll be 75 years old in September. The reason I've told you of these things is to build a little confidence in you, that God talks to me and that the Bible is true, even though men were used by God to write it. After more than 44 and a half years of studying it, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible is 100% true, including what it says God is soon to do to the environment. It will be much worse than New Orleans. And what will mankind do about it? Nothing. I had just finished a piece of literature called God Says It's Global Freezing and Global Scorching, Not Global Warming! 
There is nothing in the Bible regarding a condition like global warming, but I had written some of what he really is going to smash the earth with very soon. There is no such thing as global warming, but God's plagues are upon you, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. It is hilarious to see the idiots today who think they can stop God's twisters, earthquakes, tidal waves, diseases, hail, famines, floods, pestilences, and fires. They think they can keep the sun from scorching, the moon from turning to blood, the freezing and scorching of the earth, and the stars from falling onto the earth. They think they can prevent the hurricanes, the typhoons, and the tsunamis. It's so funny to see you little street sweepers that think you are going to clean up the mess God is going to make. Get ready for the end right now. Christ is standing at the door. There isn't enough time to prepare for Earth Day and all the garbage which Satan's government and left-wing radical media is deceiving you with. This one is called Man and Beast Are Completely Different by Tony Alamo. It's copyright April 2009. Man and beast are completely different. God's word makes this very clear once and for all. God's word states, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. 1 Corinthians 15.39 here, God shows us that we did not evolve from monkeys or any other animal because we are completely different, even our flesh. If you like believing you have descended from a monkey, then go ahead. But as for me, I believe God. I am a human made in the image of God, not a monkey. I didn't crawl or swim out of the ocean either. Again, God's word says there is another flesh of fishes and another of birds. So I never flew out of a nest either, even if I did. I'm not the same as a bird. The people of the earth are deceived and they don't care. That is why God says they are mad, crazy, insane. If secular leaders are so smart, why is everything so crazy, insane in the secular world? God divides animals from humans, fishes from animals, and humans and birds from animals and fishes. When I eat fish, I can plainly tell that it is different than beef. And I can also tell it is different than chicken, turkey, pheasant, quail, or any other bird. God divides the people who are lost from the people who are saved, evil from good, land from water, the spirit of God from the spirit of the devil, and evil angels from the angels of God. He separates languages to confound man and keep him from attempting evil, even more than he already has. God has separated many other things in this world, and if you are hoping to go to heaven, you had better separate yourself from the insanity of the world and go with God. We are paying taxes to destroy children in public schools with all the damnable sorceries they teach. And hey, if our leaders and the other insane leaders are so smart, then why ain't they rich? They are trillions of dollars in debt and sinking more each and every day. Where did you learn that you are a monkey? Why did you believe them? Don't you think you'd be much better off listening to God rather than listening to the devil. All right, and this time we're going to collaboratively read from our old friend L. Ron Hubbard. My husband. We can't leave him out of this. Scientology, the Fundamentals of Thought. 
which was originally published in 1956. And then what's the subtitle there? The Basic Book on the Theory and Practice of Scientology for Beginners. Oh, good. This is perfect for all of you. So we're going to start with a passage called Identity and Attention on page 123. One needs an identity to play the game, as covered later, game and no game conditions, but mainly to get attention. A being looks at things. To balance the flow of his attention, he feels he must also be looked at. Thus, he becomes attention-hungry. For instance, unlike races of Asia and Africa, the white does not usually believe he can get attention from matter or objects. The other cultures believe for the most part, and it is all a matter of consideration, that rocks, trees, walls, etc. can give them attention. The white race seldom believes this, and so is likely to become anxious about people. Thus, the white saves people, prevents famine, flood, disease, and revolution. For people, as the only purveyors of attention, are scarce. <laughs> <laughs> I can't start a sentence with the white goes further. Okay. <laughs> God. Okay. <clears throat> the white goes further. He often believes he can get attention only from whites, and that the attention from other races is worthless. Thus, the other cultures are not very progressive, but by and large, saner. And the white race is progressive, but more frantic. The other cultures do not understand white concern for bad conditions, since what are a few million dead men? There are plenty of identities, and there is plenty of attention, they think. The white can't understand them, nor can they understand the white. Nor can I understand this. <laughs> attention and identity form a group of two. Attention makes space. Identity closes space. Attention is a method of knowing. Inattention is a method of not knowing. Identity is a method of making known. Lack of identity is a method of making unknown. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Elrond. Oh, what a weirdo. Wow, the whites... Now, some of these might be leaving a bad taste in your mouth. I get it. I've been there. You know what I do after I read some questionable literature? I go and brush my teeth. And the new year means new resolutions, and we've got one you're working on twice every day. It's your oral health. You want to stick to good habits, right? And you want it to be easier this year. So why don't you try Equip Electric toothbrush. You didn't think of that, did you? No. But Quip features sensitive sonic vibrations, a built-in timer, and a multi-use cover for traveling and storing at home. This cover has so many uses, you guys. Not only can you put it on your toothbrush, but maybe you just want to hold like a battery in it or, or a pencil. They're not going to stop you. Plus, there are no wires or a clunky charger, and it runs for three months on a single charge. I can verify this because I got a Quip a few months ago. The battery just finally ran out recently and I just had to put another AAA in there. What? No big deal. And new brush heads are delivered automatically when you need them. I got equipped myself a few months ago and for reals, you guys, I used to use a big clunky electric toothbrush. I liked it a lot. Worked great. But this new one is smaller, slimmer, sleeker, and it is a little, it's, it's just as effective, but it's lighter on my teeth and I have pretty sensitive teeth. So it's really nice. I, I genuinely recommend it. And I'm not alone. Over 1 million happy, healthy mouths love Quip. 
And Quip starts at just 25 bucks. If you go to getquip.com slash oh no, right now you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash oh no. All right. Well, that was, I had fun. Did you have fun? I had fun. Well, hopefully you all had fun. Let us know what you thought. Now, of course, that was a bunch of dudes. Yeah, yeah. So I think next time we'll do Ladies Night. Ooh, yeah. Maybe some Mary Baker Eddy. Maybe some Teal Swan. Maybe some Melissa Scott. Who knows? Who knows? Well, we know. Well, let us know if uh, you want to hear more of that. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out that usually the leaders of fringe religious groups are men. We're all for equal representation in all things. <laughs> Women. Go out there, write books, confuse people, take them under your wing, mislead them so we can read your writings. We need more women serial killers as well. (laughs) Get out there, ladies. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. This episode was edited by Ross Blotcher. You can support us at MaximumFun.org forward slash donate. Make sure we keep doing more fun and interesting things. And you can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash OnRack, O-N-R-A-C. See our photos, see our videos. I took a video of Ross reading like L. Ron Hubbard. You want to see that. Come on. Come to our Twitter. It's at Twitter. Oh, no, podcast. I don't know. Carrie does the Twitter. <laughs> that was pretty much right. Also, that video isn't of Ross being L. Ron Hubbard. It's Ross being Ryle. You can also leave us positive reviews on iTunes. That's very helpful. Helps other people find us or Spotify or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Tell your friends. And remember... The game of life demands that one assumes a beingness in order to accomplish a doingness in the direction of havingness. If you ask an auditor how these work in processing, he will tell you that there is a specialized form of each of these conditions. The processing form of beingness is identity. To achieve a betterness of beingness... (laughs) Wait. (laughs) To achieve a betterment of beingness in the granting of beingness, the auditor remedies with processing the scarcity of identities of the preclear. The preclear is often found in valences, other identities... His fathers or mothers or marital partners or any or all of thousands of possible people. He is unable to achieve or obtain, he thinks, enough identity or an identity of his own. He decries or criticizes the identity of others, fails to grant beingness to them. He himself cannot obtain enough identity to feel he has an identity. Identity is so scarce that it's too valuable. Nobody must have one. To be with such a person is therefore an uncomfortable experience. Since he does not credit our identity, does not grant us beingness. The cure for this is elementary. Let us say he is obviously in his father's valence identity. He got into father's valence when he found he could get no attention from mother. Observing that father got some of her attention, he took father's identity. However, let us say he didn't like father. The auditor finds him hating himself. Himself is really father. Since the dawn of time, screenwriters have taken months to craft their stories. But now, three Hollywood professionals shall attempt the impossible. 
break a story in one hour. That's right. Here on Story Break, I, Freddie Wong, Matt Arnold, and Will Campos, the creators behind award-winning shows like Video Game High School, have one hour to turn a humble idea into an awesome movie. Now, an awesome movie starts with an awesome title. I chose The Billionaire's Marriage Valley. Mine was Christmas Pregnant Paradise. (laughs) Okay, next we need a protagonist. So I've heard Wario best described as libertarian Mario. (laughs) And of course, every great movie needs a stellar pitch. In order to get to heaven, sometimes you gotta raise a little hell. (laughs) That's the tagline! Check out Story Break every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.